Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. Yes, yes, here we are. Episode 62 of the podcast. We keep on rolling and we're at the moment keeping on rolling with our conversation about the megachurch uh, and and toxic religious environments really more broadly and, and in particularly in light of uh, as we've already said over the last number of episodes, the the multitude of stories of people's experience within these spaces. Uh, and in particular, these stories have come into the public um, space, both through social media channels uh, and also through the work of uh, a journalist, David Ferry, here in New Zealand, but also other journalists around the place on, on, on churches like Hillsong and other similar kind of styled mega churches. Just seeing the, the litany of, of people's lives that have been left kind of as, as wreckage on the other side of participation within these systems. And so we've been exploring some of the nature of how these systems function, of some of the coercion, the manipulation, and even the downright abuse that happens within these spaces, the many stories of burnout, what's driving that, why are people, you know, why, why are these spaces so attractive, why are these communities something that people really get passionate about and want to belong to, and then also why and how do they become so harmful to people, right? These, these are the things we've been trying to dig through to hopefully give some language for what it is that people have experienced or are experiencing, uh, some solidarity, uh, a sense of sense-making about all of this because a lot of it can feel like a big confusing muddle. Even for people that it might be 10, 15 or 20 years in the past, it can still feel like a, a part of their journey they don't know what to do with, a part of their story and that, that they're still sort of living with the residual impact of that. So we've been wanting to dive into this in a fair amount of detail, I suppose, it's turned out. You know, initially when we recorded, when we started recording, it was like, well, we might have a couple of episodes about this. But as we've, as the conversation has unfolded and as we've seen the many people who have been sort of processing the experience in real time alongside the podcast in many respects, um, then we've realized, man, there is so much to talk about here. The, these systems are so intricate and, and we really need to pay attention to the intricacies, to the nuances, to the subtleties of, of what's going on. And so that's what we are continuing to do in this episode. Um, we are, you know, a lot of the things we're hearing back from people, you know, there are some common patterns in those stories, whether whether it's people feeling pressured to do things in certain spaces that they were actually uncomfortable with, or people who ended up staying much longer within toxic environments than they really, in hindsight, should have. Uh, and, and part of that is because leaving was made so difficult for them even if not explicitly, kind of implicitly, with all the subtle ways in which language and story are used. Uh, maybe it's people trying to push back against things or raise concerns or issues, but then having things said to them that make it seem like, oh, it's very difficult to disagree. And in fact, maybe it's more about me. And so that becomes a bit of a confusing muddle as, as well. So although there are lots of other big things we want to get to talk about and we will be getting to talk about over the coming episodes, we wanted to spend at least one more episode just diving into the language of this kind of megachurch world because there is something kind of um, subtle about it or subtly pervasive about it perhaps that is um, able to create a, a, an environment and a system within which it's incredibly difficult to, to bring dissent to the table or even to just bring questions to the table. It's very difficult at times for certain kinds of people to bring their authentic selves into that community. And, and that kind of hidden layers of coercion and manipulation that come through a lot in the stories that we're hearing at the moment. And when you're immersed in it, 
it can be very difficult to see or to make sense of, and it can be a big. Like, it can feel. We've we've talked about the fog before, the confusing fog of feeling like ah, oh, I feel like something's wrong here, but I I don't know what, and I don't know why, and I don't know how it's functioning, and things kind of sound like. I mean, the language seems good, right? So, how can this be bad? Or you know, all of this stuff tends to happen. And so, um, in this in this conversation, Shane and I, Shane is back, and we we talk about uh, what we're calling here double speak. Uh, which is really just the way in which within many of these contexts, um, things that kind of sound good and, and the language for them and the phrases for them and the words for them can make it seem like it's a good thing, but those good things are actually being used in in controlling ways and manipulative ways and coercive ways, either to make you doubt yourself, to doubt your own story, to doubt your instincts, to doubt your experiences or your beliefs or your ideas, or to, to control you, um, uh, often not said in such explicit ways, but that's often what is happening, right? So, so we want to look at that language and dive into that um, for at least one more episode here, just to really give ourselves a good handle on on what it is that's going on and why it is that it can be so difficult to see, so difficult to make any kind of progress, so difficult difficult to bring about change, and so difficult to extricate yourself, if you like, from from that kind of system. So that's what Shane and I talk about today, and and I think it's actually a really good and helpful and meaningful conversation. So I, I trust that you'll find it to be that. Um, one other thing I just wanted to say before we get into it again is that you can, of course, get in touch with us, feedback at shift.com. That's the email. Um, and, and get in touch and just share. Maybe it's a story or a question or something you think we've missed or that we need to talk about or that you'd love us to talk about or something that's resonated for you, whatever it might be. You can also, along with getting in touch with us, that way you can you can find um, in the shift on social media, Instagram and Facebook and so on. You'll find me there. And we've also uh, got a place where you can support the work of the podcast, patreon.com slash in the shift. And if you go there uh, to find us on Patreon, you can chuck a few bucks the wave in the shift to help keep this podcast sustainable and up and going. And um, if that feels like something that you could do for, for, for not too much, then, then please find your way there and have a look. Um, that'd be cool. One of the things we have done with the Patreon space just in the last couple of weeks has begun a Discord page, which is essentially, if you don't know what Discord is, is an online community page for In The Shift, basically where people can share who they are, this bit of their story, some of the questions they've got, there's a place for discussion and finding each other and finding connections and talking about things that, that we're thinking about at the moment and whether that's faith deconstruction or whether that's particular beliefs or whether that's some of the toxic church stuff or the mega church stuff or spiritual abuse or basically anything that that relates to just being a part of the, of the In The Shift community. So we've got um, a little conversation starting to unfold there with 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 the first few people who have um, first bunch of people who have found their way on there and so if you one of the reasons for doing it through patreon is just to create that sense of safety for that space that uh, one of the things we've realized is that for many people talking about these things in public is still very difficult and talking about these things um, maybe on public domains like Facebook or or social media um, stuff like that that can be that can be pretty difficult too not really something people want to do. Um, and so by having the Discord community be a patron community, it means that it's a safe space for people to be able to share because you're kind of you're you're within you're with fellow in the shifters, so to speak, who are who are kind of um, contributing into the space. And so it's a, it's a place for you to be able to share and find others whose experiences might be similar or, or that might want to talk about some of the stuff you want to talk about. So 
kind of really interested to see where that goes and the hope for that kind of connectivity in that space. So if that's something you might be interested in too, uh, in as well, then then jump on Patreon, find in the shift, and um, you can chuck us a few bucks a month and you'll get access to that community too. So that'd be cool. I reckon, yeah. Um, boy, you can tell how... <laughs> oh man, anytime, anytime the conversation turns to actual um, financial sustainability, I, I often feel uncomfortable about it. To be honest, I'm just being you know honest and transparent with you. But it is also part of... Um, achieving, I think, those two things. On the one hand, helping to make the sustainable work and on the other hand, creating a safe space for people to be able to connect. So that's my hope for that space. So if you want to join it, come along, say hi. That'd be really cool. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Shane and I talking about double speak in the mega church. This is episode 62 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. <music> Shane Meyer. Shane, hello. Hello. Uh, so, look, this is our second go at, at <laughs> having a conversation for this podcast. Why is that, Shane? Look, I don't want to say uh, that I've renewed my vows as an abstinence campaigner and that children ruin your life, but um, they often do. As lovely, <laughs> lovely as they are, they often ruin your life and they definitely ruin your chances of... Um, being remotely good at um, doing regular podcasts. Yeah. I, I believe the last I saw of your son was when he was vomiting into a bowl <laughs> mid, mid recording when we Whilst had our first cricket. This. Mid podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> Still some flex on we your were, microphone. The last time we tried to, re- to record a chat, uh, yes, we both got calls from our respective daycares telling us to go and pick up our children <laughs> uh, because they were sick. And then should we still tried to record anyway because we're really committed to the cause <laughs> probably because we'd actually put it off about eight different times oh. already so and then uh, and then my child um i heard a, a, a quite a cacophony in the house and it turned out he was vomiting in various rooms and then ended up in in this room <laughs> mid-recording vomiting on my knee so that's awesome you really do want to complete the set if you start if you, once you've got to three vomiting in three rooms you really do want to finish it all off yeah <laughs> Um, but it, look, it served as a wonderful metaphor for our emotional state during this time. That's <laughs> uh, true. That's about how I feel. Yeah. Um, hey, so we're going to con- we're going to continue our conversation anyway today, and we'll uh, and I, I reckon we've got a fair crack at not having any um, vomiting children burst in in the middle of this. Oh, that might be that might be uh, speaking. Um, I can't remember the phrase. <laughs> Speaking it into being, is that what you're looking for? No, maybe that was. Something like that. Yeah. Good. Um, Don't speak that over your life, Michael. Oh, yeah, that was that, that was a real thing. Not oh, that was a huge thing. It's yeah, amazing. That, 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 it happen. It's like magic words. Yeah, the magical thinking and, the, and all of that is like quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, yep. But that's not our topic for today. Oh, that's a rabbit trail we definitely don't need to get into. <laughs> uh, what we do want to talk about is language and... And kind of, in some respects, the subtleties of how language is used in some of the megachurch spaces that we've been talking about over the past two months now. Yeesh. Um, and spending a bit of time here because, because so much of the way in which language is used, often so kind of cleverly, 
um, is is connected to the layers of self-doubt or trauma or whatever it is that, that people have experienced, especially those who have been in this system for a long period of time. So we want to talk about this idea of double speak today. Um, do, you want, do, you want to, do you want to tell us what doubles, what we mean when we say that? Um, yeah, I, I, like I guess, I guess it's another term for gaslighting <laughs> uh, or language that helps, uh, <laughs> language that causes you to doubt your own nav- narrative. Um, and the, I, I guess the genius of the way that coercive leaders use double speak is that it's framed as something positive. Um, and it's framed as something life-giving and good and something that makes some kind of logical sense, at least on the surface, as long as you don't scratch the surface too deeply. Um, and it sounds like something that you should agree with if you're a nice person or a good person or a faithful person or a Jesus-loving person um, in a way that makes you think that the other thought that you were having um, you know, really might not be a, an honourable one or a good one or a Jesus-y one. And so you can come into a conversation or uh, be, or, you know, even just kind of receive a general sermon or message and feel one way. Uh, and then by the end of it, think, oh, no, I really need to fix my attitude and sort that out because the right way is clearly this thing here. Uh, I think you may have referenced that you've seen this a lot with uh, people who try and leave organizations and uh, finally, you know, reach their limit after pulling up, putting up with endless piles of shit <laughs> and then go, enough, I'm broken. I'm going to put an end to this and uh, walk into an office and then walk out going, oh, yeah, I really did need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I guess I was wrong after all. Um, yeah, so the, the, the best... The best, as in the worst. <laughs> when I say best, I mean worst. Kind of double speak is the kind of double speak that um, that makes you feel some sense of shame about your initial thought or your initial impulse, um, and you feel kind of rebuked and corrected by this wisdom and genius <laughs> that shuts down what your body is telling you, what your nervous system is telling you, what your emotions are telling you, um, what other sources of wisdom are telling you. Yeah. So perhaps the best way to kind of dive into um, this is by giving some excellent, uh, some, ex- some examples of, um, sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, um, and as we do that, thinking about, you know, this is something that in the last conversation that I had with Nicole and Jess uh, on the previous episode, uh, something that came up a fair bit in terms of the, the kind of the, the way in which, yeah, this kind of gaslighting language um, this double speak that makes you doubt your own intuition, mm. um, you know, how, how it functions. And I think one of the things is, even as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about the many people that I've heard from, um, especially through like Instagram and social media and stuff, who are dealing now many years later mm. with not actually knowing anymore how to trust their own intuition yeah. or not, or yeah. how to know what, the, 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 how to listen to their own body or uh, or any of that kind of and so there's that lasting impact mm. that lasts for years and mm. years and years for some people decades right yeah of going i've been immersed in an environment for such a, a, a of, of such an intensity and for such a period of time that by design essentially um caused me to not pay attention or to suppress Either yeah. what my body was telling me or what my instinct was telling me or just what my intelligence was telling me or my thoughts or my ideas. 
um, or the experiences that we're having. And will it, will it, trains, it, it trains you to be suspicious of every single one of those things. Yes. And so those, those things there are effectively tools for deception. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your own, your own, your own logic, um, your own intuition, um, all of those things can be led astray. And what the word of God really says about these things is this, this, and this, i.e. my interpretation of these things. And so that becomes once you've um, trained yourself that you should never be trusted uh, and that someone else should. Um, yeah, of course, that's that's long-lasting because all of those things are seen through those lens and it takes an equally long time to train yourself out of it and to surround yourself with um, the kind of wisdom says, that says, hey, like those things might have something to say to you. Mm. It's actually terrifying initially, I think, for many people mm. to listen to what those things might be saying to them. Yeah. I mean, if you've been shaped by a, by a biblical text that says the heart is deceitful above all things, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. how could you then trust it? How yep. could you then trust anything that you have to say about your own life? Yeah. And look, this is something that I witness a lot in um, initial conversations with people who have just kind of started some kind of deconstruction process or are leaving church. Um, I think I've said before, our faith community ends up with a lot of people who are like, <laughs> on their way out, um, but they're trying to do so through um, going to another church instead of just leaving. <laughs> uh, and when they kind of describe their experiences, they kind of describe these horror stories of things that have happened to them and things that they've thought and things that they've, um, you know, been told. And, uh, and, and sometimes the things are just so like cartoonishly evil and terrible that have happened to them, yet they still describe them with incredible hesitancy mm. just in case you as some kind of figure of power is going to leap across the table and tell them that, you know, no, 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 you're wrong. <laughs> At which point they quickly retreat. And, um, and, and yeah, there's still like a, like a lack of trust, not only with their own voice, but with the general outside world that, you know, of course, everyone I've ever trusted has believed this stuff so there's a good chance that you might be you, that you might too, and it takes a long time um, to help people feel safe to actually express what sits at the core of this trouble for them. Mm. Yeah, one of the phrases I hear quite a bit at the end of people's stories is, "But that's okay." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, and I'm yeah. sure I've done that myself. But times mm. I tell this terrible story. That sounds like a lot like something that you would say. <laughs> probably why I remember it uh, when other people use it because I, I see myself in it but it's like tell a terrible story about something did someone did to you and then be like but that's okay yeah uh, they probably meant well <laughs> um yeah it's just it's 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 a it's a display of how effective some of this stuff really is in getting you to to doubt yourself yeah yeah what a suppress so let's yeah let's talk about a few of these and and perhaps start with a few that that are kind of related to um, to that thing we've just been talking about, which is trying to get you to stop paying attention to like what your body or your mind might be telling you, right? Yeah. Uh, and some of these terms we may have bumped into already along the way in some of our conversations, but I think it's worth just zeroing in on on, on some of these in particular. Um, and so one of those, and one we've already mentioned, I know, um, is the word capacity, right? Mm. Mm. Um, and capacity sounds like good thing like you would want to have lots of capacity Mm. um often especially within a space that values productivity and values moving ahead and and values getting things done and and all of that kind of stuff so within that framework especially to be someone with with real capacity is like an is is a 
presented and and understood at least on the mm. surface as a as a very positive thing and mm. and can be experienced that way right oh yeah, yeah of course yeah yeah high capacity oh mm. that sounds good it's also it's also at the same time training you about how to advance advance within a culture as well mm. so it's saying these are the hallmarks of um, of what this culture values and therefore you need to be one of these people and so it's not just kind of um not just helping you be more productive it's actually giving you insider clues as to the kinds of people that will receive favor and honor within an organization yeah. other people who despite these hallmarks and so if you want to be seen if you want to be noticed um then you need a big capacity um it used to be one of the i don't even i think this might have come from Hybels. Perhaps. I'm pretty sure it did actually. Uh, Bill Hybels, who was like a church growthy guy in, in, in the US, who um, was one of the down to earth ones until it turned out he was also not great. Uh, yes. Um, not great. Not great by sexually taking advantage of people just in case you didn't read between the lines. Yeah. 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 But that's yeah. okay. No, but that's okay. No, no, it's, no, not. no it's not. No, really. it's not at all. Um, but one of his things, I think, was when you're looking for a leader, there were certain C's that you looked for, like C words. Um, good ones. <laughs> I can think of a couple. Ones. Yeah. Oh. Um, and one of those was capacity. So you're looking for someone as a leader with high capacity, with the capacity to do the thing. Um, but in this context, capacity can be used in sort of helpful ways, I suppose. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about what capacity do I have to actually mm. take on yeah. something. Yeah. But capacity is actually actually comes to be used to refer to the suppression of what you might actually be feeling mm. um, and a denial of what your body actually might be telling you, right? Yeah. And it, and it might also come, and we've talked about this before as well, but the, the single lens of these institutions is how can you serve the institution? Yes. And so you might have a gargantuan capacity. You might be a shift worker nurse who works, you know, huge hours and does, you know, 12 hour doubles and 14 hour doubles and um, does this, 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 and this, and, you know, also is raising children and um, also has, you know, an elderly parent that you care for. Um, but all of that, that gets you to zero <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because in the eyes of the institution, you haven't done anything yet. And yeah. so your capacity is really about how much you can offer to the space and how much you can um, push aside those other things or do them without them getting in the way mm. um, so that you can show that your your real your capacity for Jesus, mm. <laughs> Jesus being our church, obviously, um, and nothing else, <laughs> nothing else <laughs> is, is, is Enormous. And so that's what you want to be able to show. So often the people who are, and again, like this is where the gendered stuff comes in as well, right? Like, because so often um, it's men who don't have particular, um, you know, bodily care roles when it comes to, um, you know, the kind of concrete caring in particular ways for, um, you know, people who are dependent on them, like, you know, again, the elderly or sick people or um, children. And so often the people with the biggest capacities from the church spaces are just the people who have the capacity to be the most neglectful towards their children or ha um, or don't have other demands pressing on them. Yeah, um, yeah totally. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to think of it from, from that angle, for sure. Uh, and even then, the, the like, that some people have an incredible capacity for sensitivity 
and empathy and yeah and feeling and sensing and, and mm. intuition and, and creativity. Mm. Um, but again, that capacity doesn't necessarily translate to I'm able to then run this event for you. <laughs> and so you don't really have any capacity. So um, yeah. you can be accepted maybe in, in the community, but you're not going to be someone who's valued. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then basically then when you're, maybe your emotional state starts to try, let's say you are, you know, really pushing through and and doing some stuff, or you're someone who's who's super into it. You're like you're loving mm. it. You're making it happen. You're getting that thing done. Um, you're demonstrating that you've got capacity, and then your emotions start to to tell you that there's some stuff going on for you that you need to pay attention to, or something hits your life and emotions come to the surface, or mm. or you start to process some stuff from your childhood, or well, all sorts of reasons why that those that those feelings might might be there for you, um, or your body starts to tell you, hey you're running out of juice here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to have out. another up and go. <laughs> yeah. That was always my solution. Um, another bottle of neurofin. <laughs> <please. laughs> um, <laughs> then, then often what you can be told is, well, you just need to grow your capacity. Um, which then is like, yeah, that's the classic thing. If you go into that meeting to say, Oh, look at all this stuff that's going on for me, or I'm feeling mm -hmm. all this stuff and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I can continue to do the, thing that you're asking of me and and what comes back at you is you need to grow your capacity yeah and then you're like well, yeah that does sound kind of yeah i suppose that's probably true mm -hmm. i mean aren't we mm -hmm. always supposed to sort of grow so growing my healthy capacity, things grow right? michael yeah, yeah, healthy, healthy things grow i mean tumors tumors also grow but let's <laughs> ignore that <laughs> um right so so then so then something that that can be used in some helpful ways ends up being used in really toxic and harmful and actually abusive mm. ways, getting people to deny paying attention. And, and there's a similar kind of um, language that's used in this way as well. So, so, so capacity is one way, one kind of phrase that's used. And we're just picking on a few of these phrases, I guess, because you might've heard these words <laughs> used. And so it's helpful sometimes to just pick on some of the specific pieces of language that get used in a number of different spaces. Uh, and so again, something that means like stop paying attention to what your body is telling you is like if you start struggling, um, that means you're doing it in your own strength. Yeah. And instead, what you need to do is do it in God's strength. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which sounds great until you think about, like, concretely, what does that actually mean? <laughs> like, unless I mean, God, yeah. is, God is giving you more adrenaline, and <laughs> well, sometimes that was that was what you went looking for. I think that is true. You didn't necessarily mm. have that language for it. Yeah, but but speaking from personal experience, as someone who, mm. you know, sometimes did get a bit tired doing things in my own strength and had to <laughs> learn to do it in God's strength instead. Mm. What that meant for me at that time in my life was getting up earlier so that I could pray for longer. Yeah, so that I could get supercharged. Looking back on it, just actually slightly died and frazzled and a little bit over the, you know, like <laughs> slightly manic. Yeah. Slightly, just, a, just a tad manic. Um, <laughs> uh, because I was just like exhausted, short on sleep and pushing myself even further. And then, and then layering the kind of spiritual mm. desire or spiritual kind of um, uh, just, yeah, passion to connect with God in some way that he would, that God would then give me this strength mm. to do the mm. things that I was wanting to mm. do. 
um, invariably didn't work. I, I used to work at a, at a science research company before I even worked at, at the church. And I used to, I used to, my alarm would go off at 5am in the morning. So I'd get up and do a prayer walk around the neighborhood. <laughs> but invariably I would wake up, <laughs> feel awful because I was absolutely exhausted because I'd probably been up till, I don't know what time, you know, packing out of some event. And, uh, and then, <laughs> And then ringing into work and leaving a message on their phone saying, I can't come in today. I don't feel well. And then going back to sleep and then waking up at like 10 o'clock and going, hmm, not sick. (laughs) Definitely, I didn't do my 5 a.m. prayer walk. (laughs) (laughs) Which would then fuel the, but now I'm left doing it in my own strength again. You sure are. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and that's classic double speakers, you know, because like, who doesn't want to do something in God's strength? Well, you yeah. know, like, like you're you're in partnership with God. Like, what what could be better? And so, amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that kind of belief that God will provide. You know, all I need to do is push the boat out, and God will provide. You know, God will meet me at the level of my faith. And um, and again, as long as you don't think about the either the concrete implications of that. And all, as long as you don't kind of think about the future, you know, as long as you don't think about where are the limits of this? If I, if I tried to stay up, stay up for 24 hours, would it work then? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was like the, I need to go away for, I need to go for a way for a week and just, and just um, pray the whole time. And then that will give me the, the juice that I need. Right? <laughs> you kind of, you're looking for a hit of some kind, mm. essentially, but because mm. you're not allowed to take things that will give you a real hit, you have to try and get, <laughs> I don't know, something spiritual. Um, you know, I, towards the end of my time um, in that space, one of the things, you know, a couple of colleagues and I started to observe was that every year we used to have these leader of the year awards, which was mm. for, um, so there would be a, a kind of an annual leaders retreat and, and then a, a particular volunteer leader from within the church community would get honored as leader of the year. Uh, and, and they would get given, you know, some kind of amazing gift or something like that. And everyone would, you know, give them a standing ovation and they would read out a list of all of the things that this person was doing. And as the <laughs> list, as they sort of 20 minutes later, as they're still sort of reading the list of things, everyone's like gasping, wow, in disbelief and amazement at their capacity, you know? Um, and yet what we started to observe was like, Ooh, I'm pretty sure that six months after any leader got the leader of the year award, they had either burnt out or on the way to burning out because actually what was being celebrated and being affirmed were people who apparently had high capacity, but people who actually had, mm-hmm. had not been responsibly cared for yeah, and had been driven and gaslit and, mm. um, and, and maybe even, you know, they weren't even aware of that themselves, that that's what had happened. Yeah. And I, I think that's like kind of looking back at this, taking a step back and looking at the, at the systemic, like um, I don't want to use the word grooming because it's got so many other associations, but um, but I can't think of a better one offhand, but there's the sense in which like the entire, like, like right from the kind of like broader, like, because really what we're talking about here is insiders, right? We're talking about people who are like key volunteers or staff mm. and are like way on the inside of the organization where they can kind of like hear more brutal things that might not get said necessarily from the pulpit. Um, but it's kind of padded and surrounded by the, the, the by the systemic. And so throughout um, the, the culture of, of a place and what comes across, you know, 
in sermons and in Sunday gatherings and stuff like that are kind of softer versions of all of these things mm. um, where you're kind of being like, it's all been massaged into you in the background of, um, you know, of infinite growth and of um, limitless capacity and of always moving forwards and of the best is yet to come and things get better and better. And um, every meeting is like the most amazing Sunday ever. And God really moved and like your mind is blowing every time. And, all these amazing things. And so all of this stuff kind of like prepares you as you get closer and closer to the center of these organizations. You've kind of spent, might've spent like 10 years of having this kind of narrative drummed into you of there's always more, there's always more. And sometimes you just need to tell your body to like shut up Um, because God's, God's always got something else that God's doing. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, and like so you, by the time you get to the leader of the year point, like you're going like, how did they get to that? Mm. Well, it's because there's a lot of steps that led to it. I'm mm. um, sorry, you would, I think in one of the other episodes, you actually mentioned even like songs that we sing. Do the oh, yes. like, so, you know, like it's the sea that you're swimming in that sense. That yeah, sort of songs, yeah. It's not to say that all all of the all the songs sung in these spaces are terrible songs, but that there, there is a theme within them, uh, many mm. of them of kind of, of I'm sort of laying my life down, um, and and pushing through yeah. and breaking through. Yeah. And yeah. And the mirror of that, of the rewards being that yeah. it gets better and better and God's doing amazing things. And yeah. yeah. And, There's and, a connection between those two things, right? Yeah. And that your intimacy with God is almost, you know, because yeah. the, a lot of those worship moments are people's experience of what they would call their intimacy with God or their closeness mm. with, with God, how, whatever language they might give it. And mm. so, um, you're actually tying those things together. Yeah, so much so that it works backwards as well, right? So like I know that, you know, there's a big culture in our youth group where when people were burning out and when people were breaking down and when, you know, people were really struggling, like they go back and put worship CDs on and kind of like soak in that and, you know, and it'll give them that those feelings. And, you know, and again, there's like good sides to that. Sometimes Mm. it's feelings of intimacy and comfort and things like that. But like often it was actually also um, this feeling of, you know, like, you know, God is present, breakthrough is about to happen and, you know, greater things are coming. And so Mm. I can, you know, I've now given myself that shot in the arm. (laughs) I can kind of power forward for a little bit longer. Um, And again, tell my body to shut up. So related to all of these as well as I think that is the word like commitment and the way commitment is used. And again, yeah, commitment can be a really positive mm-hmm. word, a really meaningful word, a really necessary one. Yeah. Right. So commitment in lots of spaces can be a very good thing. Mm. But again, in, in, in this kind of framework can also be used to essentially mean you shouldn't have any boundaries. Yeah. And you shouldn't ever say no and you shouldn't ever... <laughs> Um, you know, not attend something no matter how you're feeling, really. You know, like was it you that met with someone that said they never said no? They were like the, yeah, yeah. the living version of the movie the Yes Man. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, because I can all do all things. Yes. So, like, um, yeah, I'm, I've had the experience, and I know many people, especially when you hear the stories of kind of burnout that we hear a lot at the moment, hmm. um, is and my experience was similar of, of many times of, of trying to communicate to to either pastors or to leaders in spaces, both when I was a volunteer and also when I was on staff, mm. that I didn't think I could come to a particular meeting, for example, because I just I was just at the end of myself and being just hit back with the, this is what commitment looks like, you know? Yeah. 
you've committed yourself to this and you need to honor that commitment and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And again, you're like, oh yeah, that's true. Commitment is really I did commit to this. I don't want to let people down. And yeah. Um, you know, we, (laughs) we had this funny thing. Uh, um, we had this funny thing where someone came one time and, and, and preached a message about, um, about Elisha and, and made this big thing about the Elisha generation and all these young, and, and, Oh, how many generations, just as quick segue, how many generations were there? Oh, there's a lot so of so many the breakthrough generation, the revival yeah. generation, the Joshua generation, Joshua generation. Yeah, <laughs> it's too many Not more generations than there were actual real Jesus generations. generations. I don't know, Jesus, um, I'm surely. Why um, not? Why not? Anyway, this was an Elisha generation, which was supposed to be about young people, and so all these young people went up the front and and, and they ended up all getting sort of signing themselves up for this thing called the Elisha generation, <laughs> which involved. Meeting at 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning for a year. Um, wow. With the with the senior pastor and some of the senior leaders to get leadership input. And this whole crew of people, must have been about 80 people or something, are all committed to be part of the Elisha generation. And, the, and at the first meeting of that, we all got given the speech, which was like, um, people often commit to these kinds of things, but they can't follow through. And so it'll be very interesting to see by the time we get to the end of the year, who's still turning up here at 6am on a Wednesday morning. And so everybody's like, Oh, I'm going to be the committed one. I'm going to be the committed one. And, uh, and so, you know, a friend of mine like pulled out after a month and we were all like, Ooh, but he was like, you know what? I had to be honest about the fact I don't want to turn up here. Must be said those meetings were deathly boring. It's not the point, like Michael. Overpromised in terms of content, but um, <laughs> but most of it, and, and and they made a big point about the fact that most people wouldn't um be able to commit right the way through the year, let alone that many people would be late, and if you were late at six a.m., you you know that would show a real lack of commitment. So there'd be people sprinting through the car parks, and you know, actually trying to get the elevator, pushing the elevator door faster <laughs> to get up to the to the meeting room. Um, but again, it was it was the way commitment was used to mm. get people to do something that in hindsight was achieving nothing really mm. they might oh, well it was achieving something it just wasn't achieving anything good michael <laughs> you know some people might have found some encouraging moments in there i'm sure, sure. but but ultimately in, in concrete terms it wasn't it wasn't doing a lot mm. except that everybody was trying to display commitment and so yeah. everybody hung on for grim life because nobody wanted to be the person who didn't have yeah. commitment right yeah and so actually what it meant was that even though we were tired and exhausted, we were still getting up at whatever time in the morning to get there by 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to be the people with commitment. Yeah. And, and, and that's that was actually being used to, to propagate really unhealthy stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing it propagated that was unhealthy was how you make a commitment, <laughs> which is um, under duress in a moment of excitement um, with a huge amount of groupthink and peer pressure um, with all of these emotional tools such as keyboard, um, celebrity, and a whole bunch of other things, <laughs> um, controlled lighting, uh, and all of these things with uh, no real understanding of exactly what you're committing to before you commit to it. Um, <laughs> no um, mutual reciprocity about what is being committed to you on the other side of those things. Mm-hmm. All of those things throw them out the window. <laughs> so it's kind of a shotgun wedding. Yeah, um, we were all we were all we all had to write a letter. The ones who wanted to be in on whatever right. we all had to write a letter. And if we wrote a letter to the senior leader, then we then we then we might get in. We might get an invite. Ooh. But it was an invite to this special thing, but no one knew what it was going to be. Yeah, so it was very very curious. <laughs> uh, those were the days. 
Yeah. So oh, in, that, in that sense, commitment back means. Now, I really wish I had just bailed out after the first week. <laughs> <laughs> just t- take the shame, do, the, do that nude walk of shame that you had to do to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And so in that sense, commitment in that in that frame means, you know, no, it doesn't mean just faithfulness and fidelity. It means having no boundaries. Yeah, um, that's right. And and the kind of like the 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 ugly head <laughs> rears itself again of um of never being able to go backwards. Um yeah. and so yeah, even kind of within staffing or you know, you know, volunteer leadership or whatever, if your life circumstances change, but you've been able to deliver something under a particular set of life circumstances, if your life circumstances change, that's not the institution's problem. That's your problem. Mm. Um, because it's not there to serve you mm. or be responsible to you. Um, you're there to be responsible to it and keep on delivering forward momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so so a lot of those phrases and those words we're using there are, are really about the sort of denial, the denial of, of the body and of the self and of what it might be telling you in order to keep performing, essentially. Yeah. Um, there are also a bunch that relate to the idea of kind of um, getting you to stop paying any attention to things you're thinking or feeling that go against like the official line of the institution. Mm. Uh, so all sorts of little words and phrases. So like, you know, um, being on board with the vision, right? Mm. Which which sounds good, doesn't it? Get on board oh, with the vision. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, All paddling in the same direction. Yeah. The DNA yeah. of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what it actually means is is contrary opinions are not allowed here. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, because the on board with the vision thing, like I'm not big on vision. <laughs> but um, but the idea of, you know, like the 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 kind of um you know, the kind of community that works together towards being one thing, like whether that's, you know, being a community that are committed to loving one another um, or being, you know, kind to one another or being generous or whatever that is. Yeah, those things at their base, like, sound great. And then they're, they're, they're not bad things. But um, being on board with the vision very quickly becomes a substitute to just suppressing any alternate opinions about anything at all. And so, again, you're taking um, something that might have been intended to uh, be about a specific thing, a specific kind of like general nominally good thing uh, and then applying that to every single instance uh, where there's a contrary opinion that might be expressed. Yeah. And um, it's interesting again in the, in the way that that language is used because it's used in so, at so many different levels. So it's not just mm. that this language is given to you when you go to suppress a contrary opinion. Yeah. So you don't come along with your contrary opinion and say, I think this and someone says, you need to get on board with the vision. Yeah, it's more that you're you're again swimming in the sea of you need to be on board with the vision, and and the most effective way of doing that that does get used all the time is making examples of people that aren't on board with the vision. Yes, yes. so no one wants to be one of them, and and even in the emails of feedback that we're getting, people going, oh, you know, I stayed for so long because I didn't want to be one of those bitter people. Mm. I stayed for so long because I didn't want to be one of those people who, you know, who flaked out or who didn't love Jesus or whatever. Like, it's incredible how often that's being referenced mm-hmm. in the feedback yeah, that we're getting that, you know, people staying for somewhere, they've been coerced for years beyond where they're comfortable yeah. um, just because they so don't want to be one of those people that they have heard spoken about um, and they don't want to be on the outside. Yeah, I know that was part of my story too. And I think it came up in, in, in our last, chat with, with Nicole and Jess as well, just how strong that impulse is, is for us to, because again, it's because you're, you're given those stories all the time um, and you hear them all the time and not necessarily yeah. with names. It's not like they're like, Hey, yeah. 
yeah. John was a bad. It was more like I was talking to a guy the other day, you know, <laughs> and he used to be really committed here and he was really on board with things, but then he he let an attitude get into his heart and he wandered away. And, you know, I caught up with him and I realized his life has not progressed at all since he left. You know, <laughs> even though it's, um, so, you know, those kinds of stories just get told a lot. He's now spending, he's now just some loser spending time with his family, enjoying his job instead of changing the world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> Who he would doesn't want even... to be that person? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so so again, like you say, this idea of vision in itself, depending on how it's framed, not necessarily a bad thing, and, and sometimes a good thing, but mm. but is used to kind of to to suppress um, opinions. And in fact, the most effective way of doing that is not when you bring it up; it's to get you from stop bringing it. It's to get in the you first place from telling yeah. yourself that you need to get on board with the vision so that you don't even bring up the thing with the person. Yeah, right, that's, yeah. Because really related really to all this is the number of unwritten rules in institutions yeah, and yeah. cultures, right? Yeah. There's yeah. so many rules that are never made explicit or very rarely need to be made explicit because everybody already knows. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and connected to this is, is another really like positive sounding word, which is unity. Yeah. Um, and unity sounds great. Because don't we yeah. want to be unified? That sounds, mm. that sounds pretty good. And the Bible um, commands it. Michael. Michael talks about unity. When unity is God commands a blessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and of course, you know, division and and kind of conflict and all of that kind of stuff. We, you know, why would we want to see that in a community? And so, unity is really important. But again, here, what is meant by unity is in fact uniformity. And this has come up again in the stories thing that's come up with. I think. Um, Rachel and, and David Farrier's work on, on Webworm talked a bit about this idea of unity actually being uniformity, and it's something something that's that, that's come up a lot in other spaces as well. Um, and 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 those are not the same thing, right? Unity and uniformity, not the no. same thing. No, no, and and it plays out at like all kinds of levels, right? Like so, <laughs> you know, when when unity actually means uniformity, um, and extroversion is encouraged, then to be united is to all be an extrovert, mm. you know. Um, to be an evangelist <laughs> is to be united. So, like, we all need to be this one thing and manifest our faith and our commitment in a very particular way. And if you're not doing those things, if you're not exactly like me, if you don't experience God like me, if you um, aren't a reader like I'm a reader, or if you aren't, a, you know, an extrovert like I'm an extrovert, if you're not enthusiastic in the same ways that I'm enthusiastic. If you don't experience God in the ways that I experience God, then those things, you know, you're not really, you don't really get this place. You're not really, you don't really have the heart of the house or the DNA um, of, of this culture. And so um, what it does is it slowly gets people to suppress those parts of themselves that don't match often the theology through, um, through personality type <laughs> that happens within these cultures and institutions where what it is to be godly is to be like me. Mm. Um, and I like these things and therefore that's what it is to be godly. I mean, I think on one of the alumni pages, the hilarious story came up about ice cream <laughs> and chaos. Um, shall I tell that one? Yeah, go on. Oh, I was okay. leaving a, pre a pregnant pause know, for you because you, you looked through to me. There was a twinkle in your eye that told me that you like that story. Well, it, it is great. It is a great story in, in, in terms of how terrible it is. Um, but yeah, so one of the um, one of the stories from one of the mega churches here in Auckland was was that 
uh, one of these sort of displays of here's what here's how important unity is and how effective it is is they asked everybody in the in the congregation to all simultaneously yell out their favorite flavor of ice cream and so on you know on the count of three or whatever one two three go everyone yelled out their favorite flavor of ice cream and, and they were like oh see how chaotic and crazy that was and no one could understand anybody um so now we know that well in fact the senior pastor's favorite ice cream is hokey pokey ice cream so what if now we all just shout out hokey pokey ice cream um, like on the count of three or whatever, however it went. And so everybody all together in unison shouted out hokey pokey ice cream. I was like, see, see how great things are when they're united. It was clear and powerful. Um, and <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just not unity. That <laughs> it's not only uniformity, it's uniformity in a very bizarre way, but also, you know, and I know they were using that as a sort of illustration, but even the kind of, the fact that they chose the senior pastor's favorite yes, ice cream. Exactly that. It says, it says it, it, something, yeah, right? About yeah, whose voice and whose value. Even if it was done kind of jokingly, yeah. it's a very clear message about whose opinion really matters mm. and who, mm. who we are conforming ourselves to. Yeah. Um, yeah. In this uniformity thing. So it's not, hey, we all need to be, you know, we all need to embrace uniformity and be like that random guy, Jeff, over there. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to embrace uniformity and become like the person yeah. who leads this place. Yeah. Which is a great question behind all of these things is like, who who has to change the most? Yeah, in an organisation, who has to change the most? Um, in a church community, I mean, coming back to a church community, um, yeah, like 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 which which people, which types of people, um, have to make them the most allowances to make this thing function. Um, and it's almost always the same kinds of people that have to make the most compromises from what is natural and healthy and good for them. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, there are real, as much as we're talking about the way in which this language kind of functions as a kind of double speak in, in really negative ways, there are insights here if we would pay attention to them about what healthy community could look like mm. as well, right? Mm. Um, and so if if uniformity and and vulnerable or vulnerable people or weak, apparently, inverted commas, people in mm. the eyes of the institution, um, or maybe it's introverts or, you know, creative-minded people who are a bit melancholic or, you know, whoever mm. those people are that, or, you know, queer people or, or um, who are within the church community or whoever it is that is having to conform their external image to fit, um, it is invariably not the... Um, the straight, white, powerful man at the top of the pyramid. Who's at the top of the pyramid, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so just consistently within these spaces, that's what uniformity looks like. It's conforming mm. to the image of that kind of person. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. it's deeply unhealthy. I mean, I think that was kind of one of my breaking points in my, in my story when I was looking after a whole bunch of um young people from Maori and Pacific Island backgrounds and just realizing at some point like we tried really hard to like you know we're there in a youth group and we tried really hard to transition them into church and at some point I was like oh you're never going to become white middle class tithe paying people and still hold on to who you are and so you're probably never going to be at home here and that was one of the things that really struck me of going, oh, I think we're actually setting you up for something. We're trying to, 
we're trying to encourage you into something that's actually going to be really, really unhelpful for you. Um, because yeah, the, as, as you who will have to make all those compromises. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this plays out in, in lots of ways. I've already talked about the sort of the, the don't take offense or the, the get, the get better, not bitter, um, kind of phrases. <laughs> oh, the get better, not bitter one is just, and, and the offense one. It's incredible. The, those ones, these ones really wind me up. <laughs> just in the way that they're used, that the weight of responsibility and that the power dynamics of that, of, of this, I just find absolutely fascinating in terms of, who has to take responsibility for what in a culture um, and, and an organization? And the don't take offense bit, um, the people in power are allowed to take as much offense as they like yes. <laughs> at the way that people are not conforming well enough or not giving them what they want. Yeah. Um, but no one is allowed to take offense at the, if someone d- doesn't agree with them or if someone has a bad attitude about it. Oh, that tells me a lot about. Where your heart is, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, really winds me up. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, in, in that language, it's basically it's just a way of avoiding taking responsibility for stuff that they've done to people, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So rather than me having to change and, and acknowledge that I've yeah. done wrong, um, it's me saying actually, even even when I've done wrong. The real, the real test is you. Yes. <laughs> so let's turn this into a good thing <laughs> where this, I've given you an opportunity to see where your heart really is and to see where, how forgiving you are. Like that's actually really generous of me. Um, I'm not going to own it or say sorry for it or actually um, take real responsibility. I'm not going to submit and make myself vulnerable to you where you suddenly have power over me to say you hurt me you wronged me, that was not okay. And I want you to know what my experience was like. None of that. Instead, it's I'll give you the minimum um, sense of contrition that I can get away with and then put all the responsibility back on you to do the heavy lifting again, even when I've stuffed it up. Yeah. Yeah, it all just becomes a part of the way in which you're being tested to see if you're actually up to it, up to lasting in this space. Yeah. Or whether it turns out that you were too soft or yeah. too, or let things get to you or yeah. let attitudes develop. Like that other person, Barry, Yeah, exactly. you know, who years ago. Yeah. <laughs> he was a bit like you, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 He really had potential. Um, <laughs> oh, he could have been something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, I've been, I've been hurt. Mm. So, and I'm still here. Mm. Now, bring me some more grapes. Um, <laughs> You're not fanning me fast enough. <laughs> so, so uh, if the first kind of set of, of phrases... I'm sorry about. that your, I took your one arm, <laughs> but don't get better. Just fan faster with your good arm. Flesh wound. Um, so the first, the first lot of, of words we're looking at were, were really about getting you to deny what your body or your mind or your heart or your emotions might be telling you. The second are, are more about stopping you from ever having a dissenting thought or or stopping you from thinking things that are contrary mm-hmm. to the, the the institutional line. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some others as well, right? There's some other ways in which language functions. Um, I mean, maybe even connecting to that one you were just talking about there, but like the the kind of the ways that kind of we're sorry or, or apologies are even used or yeah. 
yeah, yeah, we're sorry you got hurt. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, obviously the one that's kind of on theme at the moment is the we have heard yeah. <laughs> narrative that's happening yeah. a lot of we've heard, we've heard, we've heard that people have been hurt and that, that devastates us. Mm. That devastates us to hear that people have been hurt. And what it's really saying is um, we had no idea this was going on. This is all news to us. Um, obviously we care so deeply about people and you know that because we're saying how devastated we are, that we would have stopped it. If we could have stopped it, we would have stopped it. Um, and so really we're saying sorry, but what we're also telling you is there's nothing we could have done about it because we didn't really know. We've just heard that people have been hurt. And we won't actually say harmed or damaged or abused. <laughs> we'll say hurt because that casts a shadow of a doubt into exactly where the responsibility lies. Yeah. Are they hurt again because they're just a bit soft or because they're one of those weepy people or because they've got a bad attitude? We're not, we're going to be the good people and not explicitly come out and say, we've got some doubts about some of their stories. Mm. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think well of us. Um, but then the we heard bit is essentially saying we knew nothing of this. Even if I personally have physically shaken someone, <laughs> I'll still say I heard that someone was hurt or offended or wounded or whatever that was. Um, and it's just a great distance-making machine. Um, and then let's get shitty about it when people get annoyed at our apology because that really shows you <laughs> that they're in the wrong um, because they can't even accept an apology. That's how... That's how soft these people are, or how how bitter they are, how whiny they are. Mm. That you know, I might have ruined their life, but I said sorry, <laughs> just because you've had like fifteen years of religious trauma counselling, and uh, you're financially destitute, and your life's in tatters, and you you know don't know if you uh, will ever find your true voice again. Um, I did say sorry that one time, so let's not like make a big deal out of it. So in that sense, like the the double speak, if you like, is sorry, but it doesn't actually mean sorry. It means yeah, please stop talking about this. <laughs> it's <laughs> making me uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. And, uh, and the we have heard yes. means um, we didn't know, not we knew full well what was going on. Uh, uh, we've chosen to ignore a lot of things. We've chosen not to hear a lot of stories and we've chosen to justify a lot of really terrible things because it suited us. Come at me with that apology and we'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it's and it's, sometimes it's even hard to know, you know, when when they say the kind of we've heard all these people are being hurt, the degree to which they fool them people, we fool ourselves, right? And so absolutely, in spaces have, have yeah. to some degree, I think, yeah, um, fool fool themselves by some of the language we've even been talking about. I think mm. even some of the senior leaders use this double speak on themselves mm. to drive themselves into the ground. They use this double speak on themselves, yeah, to convince themselves to 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 not pay any attention to the to their own body, to yeah. their own feelings, to their mm. own. Um, doubts or to their own thoughts that actually don't fit what they think they're supposed to believe. And so then they, um, they're, they're sort of so swimming in the sea that they've, that they've created. Um, I'm going to have trouble with my metaphors again. Today. Oh, here we go. We're going back to the vine sweater. <laughs> um, you know, the that, sea. that they are able in some respects, I think, to convince themselves almost that yeah. what, what? All yeah. these hurt people? Surely not. Yeah. We're all just, aren't we all just on board with the vision here? Trying Hasn't to everyone for the last 20 years been telling me how good this place is? Aren't we all? It's, just, all, it's all anyone's ever said. Is this is amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I get tired and exhausted and, 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 and 
you know, sometimes, but, I, but then I'm just reminded to just do it in God's strength, you know? So, mm. so the language becomes a self-justifying thing as well as something you project onto other people. Yeah. Um, and, but, but you know that when you use that, that a part of you knows what's really going on. Yeah. Right? A yeah. part of you does know what you're doing to people and, and doesn't care. Yeah. Or the part of you that does care has been buried very deep. Yeah. You managed to justify it and convince yourself of. of yeah. And, and, and there's a part of you that's made conscious choices along the way to train yeah. yourself out of empathy and emotional intelligence. Yeah. You've made, you've kind of seared that part of yourself. And so it might not be functioning very well anymore. Um, but you're still kind of responsible for that, right? Because you're still, you know, like, you, I mean, I remember seeing, you know, again, back in my, you know, mega aspiring days going to the Christian bookstore and like looking through and there was a Philip Yancey book of, um, you know, about, you know, some kind of like, you know, people have been hurt by the church and me feeling that instinct, that kind of anger rise up and go, we've all been hurt by the church. Because <laughs> um, I felt like it was an attack, <laughs> which says about everything you need to know about where I was at the time. I'm um, in this small voice of going like, um, yeah, but what if some people have been really hurt? Yeah. You know, like what, at what point? And I, and I had to make a choice about whether to listen to that small voice that talks to the angry part of myself and that mm. offended part of myself. Um, and you, you had, you choose, you choose whether you feed that stuff or not, or you choose whether to sear <laughs> your emotional intelligence and your empathy um, to the point where, yeah, you might actually genuinely believe this stuff. And that's mm. when you need more help than you can offer yourself. So what did you do? Did you go and hide all those Philip Yancey books behind other books? And <laughs> sure did. Absolutely. <laughs> I bought them all and burned them. Um, right. So it's, it's super interesting to me to talk about all of this because I think this language is so familiar, hmm. even if it's in the distant past for me in some respect. It's so familiar. It's consistent yep. um, across multiple spaces, churches, communities, um, institutions. Uh, it is used all the time and you actually what's going on here is that this language is is one of the big driving mechanisms behind the culture of coercion that we've been talking about over the past however many episodes this is now yep. um right because it's this language that allows all of that coercive stuff to happen in yep. fact it's this language that's a part of that coercive system um and i think you and i have talked a little bit you know off off ear, off the record. Um, and our real friendship that we definitely <laughs> have. Um, uh, about the fact that for us, you know, one of the big stories in all of this is coercion. It's mm. it's mm. the way people are manipulated and coerced into essentially destroying their own lives on behalf of, you know, for the institution. Mm. Um, and and this kind of language that we've been talking about here is like key to that. It's yeah. one of the it's one of the necessary components in order for that to happen. We've talked about a bunch of others here, but uh, in, in the conversations to this point, but this stuff's kind of the subtle the subtle way in which the consistent language does this, right? Yeah, it's um, um it, it, and it's so important that it's all framed positively because again, no one's stupid enough to fall for someone saying you're a piece of crap. Push yourself harder. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're useless. Don't I want more from you because I don't care signals. about you, you imbecile. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that that doesn't work, and so it has to be couched in this incredibly clever stuff that makes you second guess your own instincts and your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Should we talk about red flags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this connects really well to to something we started to talk about uh, in the last episode with Nicole and Jess, which is is about kind of the red flags, what to look out for, and when you because because of all of this language, and and this is something again we've talked about a bit, but it's it's worth repeating. What happens in these spaces that you things do get very muddled because again. Mm. You've been taught to doubt your own intuition. You've been taught to doubt your own values, your own instincts, your own beliefs, perhaps. Um, you've, you've been shaped by this language for a, for a long period of time. It's very hard to actually be able to say, how do I know if I'm in an unhealthy community or not? How do yeah. I know if I'm actually in a toxic yeah. space? Um, despite the fact there might be sort of, you know, glaring evidence that, that mm. in fact this, this community might, might be a toxic space. It can, it can feel very hard to see that clearly. Um, because there are all of the other kind of kickback feedback yep. loops that are coming back to you saying, yeah, but- I mean, let alone motivated reasoning that you've got lots of, you've got lots of reasons why you don't want to believe that. Yeah. And so you, your own self and your own situation, your own vulnerabilities are working against that and your own love, especially if you've seen great things happen or there's people that you care about in that, you know, you, there's good reasons not to see this stuff. Yeah. People you love, a community you love, um, and that you care about and that you've sown a lot of. You kind of feel like you might be past the point of no return, and mm. how much how much you've like sunk into this venture mm-hmm. um, of your own life as well. You know, yeah. so yeah, lots of reasons um, that it becomes hard to see. Um, so this idea of red flags, I, I think, is is helpful for people if we can if we can keep talking about that in terms of what are some things we we can look out for that do become like just little markers to say ah yeah. that's something that we can grab onto and say that yeah that's a good sign that this is yeah talk space yeah i mean yeah i I really like jess's reflection from the last part of um yeah about asking yourself the question of of whether your authentic voice is welcome at the table um whether how much how much of your own um instinct and your own thoughts and your own logic and your own rationality and how much of of what your body is telling you is welcome um anywhere in the organization that you can bring you can bring that and it will be seen and heard like how much are you truly seen and not just the you that you present but the actual you that sits somewhere deep on the inside um how how much do you have to morph um and cover your um your real opinion about things how scared are you how scared are you to offer thoughts and ideas and suggestions how scared are you to offer um alternate opinions um how valued do you feel when you need to speak up um especially when it's things that people don't want to hear yeah i think these are such um helpful and important um ideas because um this gets to the crux of it. Like if I think if I think back to myself in that space, because it's a very hard thing to do. Mm. You know, if only I knew then what I know now. If I knew I was such a sage and wise person as I am, clearly now. Um, but I think back to myself then, and I, I I certainly knew that there were things that I couldn't say mm. or I couldn't share of myself. And actually over time that I couldn't think, you know. Um <laughs> And that I that I shouldn't let myself think. Yeah, and I think of maybe in some of those seasons, if someone had come along and, and asked me this kind of question, it would have been a really helpful mm. 
thing for me. It's always mm. hard to know exactly how I would have received mm. it, but I but I think it would have been a really helpful thing for me to for just someone to say, "Is your authentic voice welcome at the table? What would happen if you sat down and 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 asked the questions that you've got?" And you would say, "Tell me what my authentic voice is, <laughs> so I know." Yeah, yeah. my authentic voice. <laughs> Be more excellent. What is that? It. The vision of the churches. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like, because I, I I went through periods over a long period of time of like questions coming to the surface and then me pushing them back down again and occasionally raising some and that not going very well and then pushing them back down again. And, and I think, you know, during that time, if I'd been able to ask this question with any kind of um, mm-hmm. genuine authenticity, I think it would have been yeah. very helpful to me, you know, say, is my voice... As it is really welcome here, um, mm. especially as I started to change and I started to, to to really start to see things differently. I was still hanging on to kind of bring change, you know, from the yeah. inside or whatever it is I was trying to. Surely things will get better soon um, <laughs> if we all just stand there. Um, uh, I actually, believe that. that. Mm. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, you know, especially in that season, I knew my voice wasn't genuine welcome at the table. And so it was always a game of like, how much of my voice can I share? How much of my voice can I get away with to try and bring a little bit of change perhaps, mm. um, mm. but not too much. And so there'd be meetings that people would have and they'd have conversations about this. Like, okay, we've got a meeting coming up with the big gun, you know, um, how much should we say about what we want to say? Uh, and we'd be like, oh, not doing it. And I'd be like, should I say this? Oh, that's a bit much. You know, so all of these kind of um, <laughs> constant conversations about yeah. how to manage mm-hmm. every, each other in that space to make sure that, and that was on staff, but make sure yeah. that, that nobody offered too much of themselves <laughs> to the point where they'd be exposed for what they really thought and believed about things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's a massive red flag. Yeah. Yeah, hugely so. Yeah. And you can kind of apply that out in concentric circles, right? Of asking like, you know, who who else has a voice and who doesn't have a voice? Mm. Like what voices are, are invited to the table? What voices are sent away? What parts of ourselves are sent away? What emotions aren't allowed um, or are discouraged? Um, who aren't you allowed to disagree with? And what are the what's, what are the consequences for disagreeing? I mean, that's always a really interesting one. What are the consequences yeah, for sure. disagreeing? So mm. you can try. What will happen is the consequence for disagreeing that you'll be heard and considered and seen and empathized with, and you won't necessarily get your own way, but at least you'll feel like you contributed to the conversation and that something, you know, um, that in some way you got to shape the space or um, <laughs> does disagreeing mean that there'll be consequences for you in a, in a, in a, there'll be punitive consequences for you either directly or indirectly mm. and what what aren't you allowed to one of the interesting what aren't you allowed to disagree with yeah yeah totally yeah um, you know even some of the stories coming through over recent times have been that people did share things they disagreed with <laughs> this is what yeah. makes it tricky isn't they thought they were heard and then they found out two years later that that disagreement was on their file. And so then we're told in a meeting when they brought up something else that, oh, this is actually the second or third time you've disagreed with something now. And so we've got some doubts about you. you know, <laughs> or, or that you never found that at all. And so um, in, an, in a meeting, you know, we were going to give someone this opportunity, but they were the person that disagreed with something. So let's never consider them for anything again. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. 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 And so if you're uh, in meetings where those people are being talked about, that's also a good red flag. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, one of the things from uh, you've referenced a while back, uh, Wade Mellons, um, who is a person who did their PhD on um, apologies, institutional apologies, and how um, Christian institutions um, handle scandal and uh, and apologize and stuff uh, on a podcast that uh, we have both listened to. I think it might have been um, you have permission, maybe with yes. Dan Coke. Uh, this this question got asked to him, and he said, um, uh, "You know, if you if you if you're curious about the health of the organization you're in, just make an invitation, make an inventory of harm." So just mm-hmm. you know, think back over your time there, and think about every every time where you've got a question about whether something was a bit abusive, a bit harmful, a bit off, a bit suspicious, you felt a bit violated, and just go through the years that you're there and write them down, and then at the end, look at your list, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and. Again, like because we we talked a few times ago that you'll often have kind of like justifications about why those things were were actually okay, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes when you look at them cumulatively, you know, yeah. um, they can make you go, "Wow, you know, I've justified a lot of things. Maybe not all, and they're entirely justifiable." Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really it's a really helpful idea. Um, absolutely. Um, so maybe let's talk about. Maybe we've touched on this a bit, but kind of what all of this does ultimately. Um, mm. If we think about uh, this double speak, the way this language is used, um, and we and, and what we've been exploring here, um, the way in which this, I get, and we've talked about this. Oh, we've got a, you know maybe another metaphor here instead of C is fabric to get back to our fabric. Um, mm. but, you know, the, the fabric of a culture, right? Um, this this all gets, and you've talked. I think have you used the term massaging already within this? I think conversation. We can never use massaging enough. Massaging, we've got C's, we've got fabrics. Yeah. Um, See as many metaphors as we can get together. Um, But essentially, it's about creating uh, a whole environment and system. And this is why we've been, I think, so persistent on this idea that this is a systemic issue. Mm. This is not an issue of one or two bad leaders who've done some bad things. This is a systemic issue within a certain way of going about church and Christian religious life. Um, because this messaging, this language, this this kind of tactic, mm. and it's much more than a tactic, perhaps, is is through the fabric of these systems and these cultures. Yeah, uh, in, in explicit and implicit ways, yeah. it all ties together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what that does then is, you know, it, it's it's very effective at, at cutting off dissent. It's very effective at bringing people into line. It's very effective at offering a narrative that's kind of essentially always functioning, always mm. spinning, so that you're mm. always a part of this story that says the best is yet to come, that says God is good, mm. that says mm. we're going in a good direction. There's a bigger, brighter, better, another level breakthrough. Yeah, um, you know, and also just that says we're we're great. We are what yeah. we are. What yeah, yeah. a Christian community should be like. We're mm. we're fantastic. Um, we are winning at church. Like this is a great place. It's a healthy place. It's a safe place. It's a kind place. It's an amazing place. We're such a we're such a great place. Like, which is kind of Emperor's New Clothesy and going like that costume's great. It's great, isn't it? Great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah, the way it shimmers. It's like, like all of, all of that becomes this kind of a grand reinforcement machine for the fact that if you think it's not great, it cuts off dissent, 
before it's voiced, before it raises its head, um, because we're all in agreement, aren't we? How great this place is, and it's a place that's doing this and this and this and saving so many souls and changing so many lives, and it's all wonderful. We all agree it's all wonderful. <laughs> um, and so, if you begin to think outside of that, then you already know that you're not really on board. Like you're the odd one out. Yeah. Yeah, and if you were ever the if there was ever, and this would happen occasionally, someone would pipe up sometime and be like, "I was just got a question about," and everybody's eyes would just be like zoomed to the person. <gasps> they voiced it, you know. Yeah, um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that all gives you then, and a lot of what this language does is, is give us that that inner critic as well. That mm. which is a part of that cutting the voice off before it gets voiced. Yeah, you become the critic yourself internally of yeah. those thoughts um, so that so that you and, and, and God and you or the way you interpret what God is saying and you become, you know, that's the most effective strategy of all, isn't it? If, yeah. If, if I can give you an, if I can give you an inner voice that mm. you'll even associate either with yourself or even better with God mm. that keeps you in line, yeah. then that makes my job much easier if I'm trying to. Yeah people working on that. And, and that's so much of it too, isn't it? If, 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 essentially, it's just pragmatics. If it's much easier, mm. it's so much easier to get something going in one direction if you just don't have to deal with dissent at all. And I think, we, again, we're talking off air about this, about like some of the, the source of this stuff is that um, I, I think some of it just comes back to the fact that, you know, you know you're given, you know, pa- pastoring is a difficult job. You're, you deal with a lot of difficult personalities, including your own. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, you might be in a situation where some, you know, where people within the community are really coercive and really um, unhelpfully persistent um, and uh, potentially really unhealthy people too. And so this kind of coercive control tactics often are just kind of used to shut annoying people up. Um, mm-hmm. But because it's really effective, you realize that you can shut everyone up. Mm. You know, and so it might actually be a defense mechanism against coercive control from within a congregation where you've got people who are used to, you know, having power and authority or just sort of power of their personality or um, their le- kind of level of aggression or the low EQ or whatever it is um, that you have to have some kind of defense mechanism for going, whoa, 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 like you can't take over either. Um but then the more you use that and the more helpful this stuff is, the more it just gets used carte blanche on everyone. Yeah. And it is easier, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, you know, yeah, it, it, you're right. There is, there are times when it's just hard work for people <laughs> and there are, there are dysfunctional people within communities who yep. also want to dominate, who also yep. want to, sculpt things in their own image and they don't yeah. have sort of the official power necessarily, but they're trying to use their personality and their force of personality or spread certain ideas among people. You know, so that does happen within church mm. communities and mm. it happens within all communities, it happens within mm. sports teams and, you know, like it doesn't matter where you are, that happens in communities. And um, and so, yeah, that's just, and that's infuriating and frustrating, especially if you're trying to build something and take it in a direction. Mm. And mm. so when people... um. When you can, when you can essentially get those people to stop, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, 
It's like a and, relief and, and for it, everybody. It's a relief, yeah. isn't it? Um, it, it, but it? But it's also like it, it also stops this this vulnerability that happens for you as a as a as a minister because it's a vulnerable space yeah. being given. You know, I mean, like we'll, we'll talk someday about how we see the role of ministers in a community. Um, but to, to some extent, you've been given a responsibility for. Um, kind of being a conduit of the voices of the community and giving responsibility to sh- help shape and curate a space in a, con- a safe container um, for the spirituality of the community. And it's nerve-wracking thinking that you're getting it wrong or that people don't agree with how you're doing it or it's a really vulnerable space. And so the easiest way to deal with it is just to never have to be vulnerable never enter into vulnerability, become completely immune and impenetrable, um, that that deals with any vulnerability crisis that you're having. Um, unfortunately, it's in a way that destroys people and I would say destroys yourself and definitely destroys what Christian community should be. Mm. Mm. Yes, it does three very unfortunate side effects. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they don't um, stick up well, do they? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's so should we just, talk, should we just in closing, just talk maybe really briefly about a different vision of Christian community without. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I just thinking about um, Christian community as a place of, of self-efficacy um, where because everyone is loved and everyone is valued that everyone has a voice and Everyone having a voice means that we learn to carry our voice in a way that doesn't damage or shut off or quieten other voices. And so it's this balancing act of what love is, is being able to see and know the other and allowing them to be themselves and for you to shape each other. Um, and in the sense of a community, as being able to do that with all 100 facets of the diamond that is that community. Um, so learning how to do conflict well, learning how to disagree kindly, learning that we all have different experiences of something and how to navigate that difference in kind ways where neither voice gets lost because of the dominance of the other is incredibly difficult and cumbersome and humiliating and challenging um, and requires learning uh, how to disagree with someone that you love in a way that won't bruise them. And it's not easy. It's really difficult. And I think you actually need God's strength in that process to be able to navigate it. You actually need to be able to come back to seeing someone as the beloved of God, even when they're really pissing you off. Um, and you need to see when someone's experience of something challenges something that you deeply love. I remember one of the conversations in our community, someone saying, well, you know, the Bible says this, and that's always worked for me. And I've raised my family on that and my business. And the success I have in life is because of this verse and someone saying, yeah, but you don't understand. Like for someone else, I, I tried to build my life on that 
And because of different circumstances, my life did not pan out. And these, these were the results. And that has absolutely messed me up. And for that person to have to work out how to take what had been their life's message and go, someone else's experience of this was profoundly different. And that might actually be a really damaging life message. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough thing to do. I mean, we had our, we had our church AGM today and someone within our community and we're a community that works really, really hard at being a safe space for all kinds of people and someone who is just really, really tired of the weight that they have to carry to be themselves in the world just said, you know, I know this community is trying, but we really need to, we, we, this group of people really need you to step up in this way because we're exhausted trying to be ourselves. And when you do this, it really hurts. And there's a defensive part of you that goes, we're already a very open and affirming community. We're trying our best and we're learning as fast as we can. Um, but because you love that person and you love that community that they represent, you go, even though we're trying hard, there's ways in which we can, we can do more and we can, and you shoulder so much of this burden yourself already and we can shoulder some more of it and we can step up. And rather than getting offended or defensive about that, we have to choose to continue to see you and understand that sometimes the way of me just being me actually bruises you. Um, and I don't want to bruise you because you're my sibling. Um, that is a vision of Christian community where everyone has a voice, where we have to learn that our experiences might conflict with each other and how to navigate that together. Even our experiences of God um, or, our, or our beliefs that what I believe may actually um, express itself in ways that are harmful for someone else. And I don't like challenging that. It's exhausting. Um, but love is exhausting sometimes too. Yeah, it's interesting. I was um uh, probably a couple of weeks now ago. Now someone on on Instagram had just asked a question, wondering whether you know they were really struggling with the idea of purpose, since mm. you know they had received a lot of encouragement when they were younger about finding God's purpose for their life. And I'm like, now I'm, a, I'm like, well, that's actually turned out to be kind of unhelpful and actually I'm just sort of going about my life. Um, and is anyone else find that weird? And so I was just like, is anyone else find that weird? And just <laughs> the, the, the many, 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 many responses from people um, mm. just saying, yeah, this has been that, that kind of teaching around, around, fi- you know, living with purpose and finding a great purpose mm. and what's God's purpose for your life. Um, the impact on my life of that kind of teaching has been, you know, has been all these, you know, actually really difficult things. <laughs> Anxiety-inducing. Really, mm. Yeah, anxiety-inducing or or just confusing or still waiting for their their calling to yep. be on stage in front of thousands and actually realizing yep. they're now just some sort of, they're just an ordinary, obscure, you know, like school teacher or something, um, which is actually great. But in the context of, you know, that was never mm. in the prophecies. Um, the prophecies <laughs> were always like, I see you on a stage across the world speaking to thousands. Never like. I, I remember I remember once getting in, in trouble because a visiting uh, prophet uh, prophesied that two of my friends would start a dance school that would invent a new dance that would shake the nation. And, 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 and thousands would come to Jesus. And I knew both of them and I laughed. 
And then I got in trouble for laughing. <laughs> and I would just like to say, in my defense, there has so far been no dance school, let alone any new moves. Danielle and Naomi. When I was 16, it was prophesied that I was going to be very successful in sports. <laughs> so far, what I'm really hanging out for, maybe, you know, maybe a late blooming uh, bowls or darts career. Curlings, yes. Um, <laughs> no, curling's a bit active. Um, so <laughs> You don't have to be the brush what was person. interesting about that purpose um, conversation and hearing all of these stories was like, I know that many of the people preaching those sermons about mm. purpose would be feeling like they are doing, they are offering these inspirational, encouraging messages to these people. But mm. because they never get the opportunity, either through their own unwillingness or just the structure of the system that they were in, mm. to ever hear how that message is actually received and experienced by people in their real lives, yep. right to your point, then then they can they just go on thinking this is really helpful. Absolutely, um, and so. especially especially with that as well though is the is the longevity thing of going. Someone can say that was a great sermon that changed my life, but seeing the fruit of it, like I, I can't remember whether I've referenced this before, but my colleague Rod, we work in a um, flat collaborative structure as a as a ministry team, which has been a huge gift to us. But one one of one of his things is. Um, is, is saying like the only the only way I can kind of like speak into a community with any sense of like that that over that takes over the overwhelming fear of um of ruining people's lives and not knowing about it is sticking around long enough and having and having a vulnerable enough place in this community where over time my words can come back to me in the lives of the people that I serve um, and I trust them to tell me that in time that this isn't actually working out <laughs> um, and that that alleviates that fear of ruining people's lives and that same thing yeah that purpose message of going you know afterwards you might have 20 people saying that's amazing that changed my life i finally want a purpose or i you know prophesy had a purpose prophesied over me but you're still not hearing 5 10 years down the track the people who feel bitter and confused and you know completely betrayed by that yeah and again just the, just whose whose testimonies get told which we've yes. before, you know so yeah. so the people who say that was great that was amazing that changed me those are the stories either you hear um, or that you allow to be heard, or that you promote. Yeah. Um, but the people who are like, that actually really messed me up. Like, shush. shush. <laughs> um, well, you don't even need to say well, shush there's again. Just no because... place for that person to even say that. No. Right. No. Yeah. So, no. so in terms of what we're talking about here, a community where, where everybody, you know, has hopefully uh, the the aspiration here, right? Because yeah. community is yeah. has, has got this. So this is not like a thing you can just sort of fix. You can't be like, oh, good. Now we're a community where everyone has a voice. Tremendous. <laughs> Tick that box. Uh, it's an ongoing, you know, um, the ongoing hard work of love and community with one yeah. another. Um, yeah. Where, where we have a voice where, where each person actually has a gift to bring and, and that, that gift in some respects is themselves and their experience yes. of, yeah. of life and of the world as well mm. as the, the beautiful things that they bring with them. Mm. Um, and, and through the gift, we actually learn um, through the gift of other people's experience and voice, you know, we learn what what our experience has missed. Um, yeah. Perhaps even um, our experience of God has missed or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, these are, again, you need to structure things in a way that allows 
for these things to happen. If Christian communities are long exercises of peacemaking, where we learn mutual vulnerability, where we learn where everyone is in some ways equally vulnerable <laughs> um, and no one is carrying all of that vulnerability, then you need to structure things in a way which trains us in that and helps us to that, that encourage us into that, encourages us into that space and, and leads us into that space because it doesn't just happen and it takes time mm. to build that kind of trust. And there's a, you know, there's a challenge to both leaders and to communities. Yeah. Because I think, again, and, and this is the systemic issue is not even the, just the church, right? The systemic no. issue is the wider context in which we live, in which people are already exhausted, tired, yeah. busy. Yeah. And the idea of coming into a community where I now have to have a voice. Mm. Yeah, I'd just rather <laughs> um, someone tell me. <laughs> just Please, just someone tell me. Say something inspiring, please. That I have a purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so, there's, so there are those wider things to, to reflect on as well. So none of this is simple and, and straightforward, but but at the very least, we need to be able to have these critically reflective conversations and, mm. and not just mm. in spaces like this, but within our communities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, maybe just in closing, I'd say that happens in the community transformation happens in community. It is the, the, it's the nature of the fact that it is a community um, that actually allows that to happen, that allows those gifts to be brought and to be seen and to be known. Um, I think so too often we end up falling into the trap of personal transformation. So, which is kind of like, you know, one projection point you know, projecting out personal transformation to everybody, an inspiring message, a life-changing thing, a breakthrough or whatever it is. And everyone receives the same thing from that central place. And so everything comes from one hub and everybody is transformed or trained and changed, quote unquote changed. But, um, you know, if you look again at the, the, the early church and the epistles that, you know, so much of what, what was required and what was evidence of transformation is the way that people cared for and treated each other the way they carried one another's burdens, the way they were able to um, handle conflict, the way they were able to love people from different social classes. Like all of these, the transformation itself isn't just about us as a group of individuals all going away more inspired and able to go and change the world. It's actually like not treating each other like shit. <laughs> like that's like us. It's, it's this kind of like training ground for the rest of life where we learn what it is to get along with people that annoy us. Um and again, like who's who in this day and age is signing up for that? It sounds yeah way too difficult. Yes, um, I think sometimes of Jesus' phrase about the the like the narrow road and the wide road, right? Yeah, I don't think I don't think Jesus is talking about the road to heaven is really narrow and the road road to eternal hell is really wide. It's actually just like. Yeah, the the road to a different way of being, right? To a life giving way of being mm. is in fact mm. hard. It's it is hard. Yeah. Um and 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 it's pretty hard to grow a mega church on that, to be honest. Um yeah. right. I mean, it's easier if you can just pretend that you are the persecuted minority in a large secular country with an evil left wing media. Um and you actually are the narrow road, even though you're really big. Exactly. Solved solved it for you, Michael. Oh great. Well, in that case, and that's all we have to say about mega church. The same as just fixed it all. <laughs> no, I've just taught you how to grow um, a good one. That's my great fear here: is that there are people taking notes, going, "Hmm, <laughs> now I can grow a mega church." 
Like I don't think I don't, knowing knowing the in the shift audience, I don't think there's a lot of people still. Um, you know, I think I think their note taking days might be behind them. <laughs> Maybe I'm supposed to speak that on behalf of the community, but I feel like <laughs> they've probably they've done their fair dash of taking notes. Um, and look, ha- hashtag <laughs> not all mega notes, churches. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that's right. True story. Uh, so have you come? Have you come with an expectant heart in the shift, listeners? <laughs> Well, I, I hope you have come to this with uh, faith in your hearts mm. for a fresh word. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, look, good, good, good. Nothing like finishing with just a, just a healthy dose of sarcasm right at the end. It's good. <laughs> no. like um, our entire next podcast should just be finished. Yes. Our entire podcast next time should just be <laughs> speaking in regular church. Yeah. It's true. It's giving a whole episode that was just like a parody um, would be kind of hilarious, but I think actually just too traumatizing and triggering for everybody. Yeah. And also then people would know that we're actually really mean and I don't want people to know that yet. No. Some people still think we're really nice. You are actually nice, Michael. You're really nice. I'm the the nice one. You are the nice, you're the nice one and the introvert, which makes you an even more nice person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hey, thanks, Shane. Thank you. So there we go. Episode 62. That's my chat with Shane. Uh, all about double speak. I hope you found something in there that helped you to make some sense maybe of your experience or to see things with a little more clarity or to give you some language for what's going on for you. As always, thanks to Reese Michelle for taking this audio and working it and taking the whatever it is that I give him and turning it into some audio that sounds good in your ears. <laughs> 